Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. How many of you are excited for Serve Day coming up in July? Oh, it's going to be a great day, man. We are, we are going to believe God for great things. We're going to be mobilizing thousands upon thousands of Celebration Church volunteers, and we want you to be part of that. So make sure that you sign up for Serve Day. We have 151 outreaches to the city on that one day. How about that? Isn't that going to be great? And uh, we want you to be part of that. Hey, come on, help me welcome all of our locations right now, all of our campuses, those watching online. We know that uh, many of you might be traveling this holiday weekend, so we appreciate you staying connected via online. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, I'm going to be speaking next weekend. I'm not speaking this weekend. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was down in Orlando. I spoke at our Orlando location. Almost 2,000 people attending that location already in just 18 months. How about that? And, uh, and then this past Sunday, I was in Fort Lauderdale. We had our first ever Celebration Church membership class down in Fort Lauderdale. Now, how many of you know it takes a committed person to join a church before the church is really open? How many of you know that's a, that's a good sign? And we had a, had a great uh, group for that. And so this Sunday, I'm just going to church. Is that okay? I'm going to church. I'm going to worship. I'm going to receive the word like you. My dad's also visiting from out of town. Give it up for my dad right over there, Charlie Weems. The man, the myth, the legend. He's here checking in on me, making sure, you know, I'm behaving and all that good, good stuff like good dads do. But uh, we have a great speaker in store for you today. That's right. That's right. It's one of those women preachers. And the reason that I need my wife, Carrie, to preach every now and then, not only is she a, a, just a great communicator, but usually what Carrie preaches in one 30-minute message, I can stretch out into like a six-week series. So I'm just, she, she's so content-heavy, I'm just looking forward to all the future messages and series I'm going to get uh, from Carrie. But I'll be back speaking next weekend. I'm looking forward to kicking off a brand new series. But right now, come on, give it up for the mom of the house, my lovely wife, Carrie Weems. Thank you, thank you. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. What a joy to be here with you. You can have my water. I can't drink it during when I preach. It's distracting. <laughs> Sorry, but thanks for it anyway. So great to be here this morning. Such a joy to speak to you today. And, um, and uh, Stubball kind of stole the in intro of my message because like, I started off talking about Serve Day and then I send you greetings from him. But then since he's here, I guess I can't do that because that would be weird. So let me find out where I am. Okay, so we're gonna be talking today from Mark chapter four, verse 21. And we're gonna be talking about an account in the Bible that many of you might know about already. It's the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And it's one of my favorite stories in, of Jesus's miracles in the Bible because there's just so much in it. Every time I read it, I get something new out of it. And I'm so excited to share with you today. So while you're turning to Mark chapter five, verse 21, I'd love to take a moment and just set up some context around the book of Mark and frame out what we're gonna be studying and just give you a little background on it. You know, the book of Mark is... 
uh, the shortest gospel. And it focuses much more on Jesus's works and his actions and his miracles than it does on his teachings. And this is probably because Mark was writing to the Christians in Rome who were undergoing intense persecution. And he probably wanted to encourage them and remind them that Jesus is a miracle working savior who is compassionate and concerned about their suffering. And this particular miracle that we're gonna talk about today, the, the woman, the healing of the woman with the issue of blood, it takes place, it's one of a series of miracles that takes place around the Sea of Galilee. And in the Sea of Galilee, Jesus starts off in a village called Capernaum where he works all day, he spends all day healing people, so many people just healing and healing and doing ministry. And you can imagine in a time when there was no antibiotics, there were no surgeries, there was not real medicine to be, to be had that healing, people were desperate for healing. So he would spend all day in Capernaum healing people. And then he got in a boat with his disciples and he crosses the Sea of Galilee. He's going to another village on the other side. Midway through his trip, a huge storm breaks out. The waves are going back and forth. The wind is blowing. It's raining. Jesus is taking a nap. I mean, why wouldn't he? He's probably exhausted. His disciples get mad. They wake him up. He has to do another miracle for them. Tells the waves and the wind to stop it. Be quiet. Hush. Probably goes back to sleep. I would if I were him. Then he lands in the, the region of the Gerasenes, gets off the boat meets a young man who's possessed by 6,000 demons called Legion, promptly casts them out of the young man into a herd of 2,000 swine who then run down the steep cliff into the sea to which the people respond, please leave. So Jesus gets back in his boat and he crosses the sea again with his disciples and he gets out and another throng, crowd of people rush in on him again, desperate for healing. Just another day at the office for Jesus, right? I mean, when you're Jesus, this is what your work day looks like. And so we see this man come up to him, a man named Jairus, who's a leader in the synagogue there in that city. But right after Jairus, telling us about Jairus and his request, his urgent request for Jesus, there's another woman who comes into the story. And her, sand, her story is sandwiched in the middle of the story of Jairus. And you know, when you read the Bible, if you study it enough, you'll realize it is a very efficient book. There aren't many extra words in the Bible. There aren't many extra stories in the Bible. Things aren't in there just for fluff. And I have to imagine, you know, the, the, the gospels tell us that if we were to take everything that Jesus said and did and write it down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain all of his good works and all of his wise teaching. So I have to believe that the things that make it into the pages of the Bible are significant. They are intentionally there for our benefit. And so I have to ask myself, this woman, this unknown, unnamed woman, no resources, no status, how is it that her story ends up sandwiched in between and right alongside the story of this very important man named Jairus? I have to wonder what it was about her. I have to believe there's something about her that we are supposed to look at and learn from and take in and allow to transform us. And I think as we study and look at deeply her interaction with Jesus, her approach to Jesus, we're gonna find that she has an extraordinary type of faith that has three characteristics that I think all active and living and prevailing faith should have. So I've named this message 3D Faith. Let's pray and then we'll just pick up right where we left off. Father, we love your house and we love your word. Lord, your word says in Hebrews that it is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, and that means that it helps us to divide right from wrong, 
It helps us to see ourselves more clearly, but more importantly, Lord, it helps us to see you clearly. And that's what we want. So in the next few minutes, we are gonna open our hearts and we're gonna lean in to the word and to the work that you wanna do in us. And we thank you that your word will do its full work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so... Let's pick up right here, Matthew 5, verse 21. We know that Jesus has just returned from his journey to the Gerasenes. He's he's landed back on the shore in Capernaum. And right when he lands, this man named Jairus comes up to him. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him, saying, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Let me just stop and unpack this a little bit about Jairus. You know, Jairus, it says it was a synagogue leader. And what that means is he wasn't a priest or he wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't the main teacher. But if you think of of synagogues, there were local, kind of like local churches in each village. And there would be a man that was in charge of 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 that synagogue. And he didn't necessarily teach, but he would, you know, decide, made sure that everything happened in order. He made sure the building was in good shape. He made sure if they needed like communion or different kinds of things, you know, to make the service run well, that those things were there. He would assign someone to read the scripture, someone maybe to pray. In a lot of ways, he he was responsible for the care of the people in his village. He would make sure that the right teachers came in and out and and his people were taught well. But he he was a lot like a campus pastor was, very well respected, responsible for the care in the village, responsible for the health of the church there, the synagogue there. And this man was very well respected and important. And he came to Jesus with a very urgent request that his daughter, who we'll later find out is only 12 years old, is on her deathbed. She's dying and he asked Jesus, could you please leave where you are right now and make your way to my house and I know if you can just lay your hands on my daughter that she'll be healed and, and Jesus says okay and he, he's, he's going in that direction. Jairus is a really important man and he has a, a, a request that, for Jesus that is crucial, it's urgent and it has a time limit on it. Jesus it needs to be in a hurry to get there and the Bible says that the crowds are pressing in on Jesus. So in this account in Luke chapter 8 Luke uses, uses a stronger word. He uses a word that is more like suffocating. They were pressing in on him to the point of crushing him. So many people around him. It's almost like, have you ever been in a crowd of people and you're trying to walk somewhere, but you're not really moving. You're just kind of, the crowd is just kind of moving you. It would have been like that. So Jesus is on his way to this, on this very urgent and crucial mission that has a sort of a, a timeline on it, a deadline on it. And the Bible says also, right, then he brings in this woman. It says in verse 25, and a woman was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the hands of many doctors and spent all that she had. And yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So here's this woman. There's a very important man. Jesus is on a crucial mission. And in the crowd, there's this woman. And we don't know her name. We don't know where she lived, but we know something about her. We know that she had an issue of blood. She had had constant bleeding for 12 years. Most scholars believe this was some kind of form of endometriosis and there wouldn't have been a cure for that. And you know, um, if, I've, I've, I know people that, that, you know, if you have a chronic sickness, if you have a chronic pain, that's bad enough in its own, on its own and by itself. But along with just the pain that you go through when you have chronic pain, there's the psychological and the emotional and the spiritual wear down and tear down that comes with living with that. Going to bed with it, waking up with it, going through the day with it, managing it, going back to bed, knowing that you're gonna wake up with it the next morning and getting up and starting over again. 
Just living with the pain day to day is its own weight. And I haven't had to deal with that very often, but I've gone through times and I've had, you know, some, I've had prolonged issues with pain, back pains, you know, things like that. And I've thought, I mean, there are people who live like this every single day. And the psychological and spiritual wear and tear of just constantly dealing with it is enormous. But for this woman, there was even an extra dimension because on top of the pain and on top of the psychological and spiritual and emotional just breakdown that, that, would, that she was carrying, in this time, there were purity laws. And the purity laws stated that anyone who was bleeding was unclean. So that meant that they couldn't touch anyone or, and no one could touch them. So let me give you an idea of what her life would look like in that circumstance. It would mean that she couldn't sit down to have dinner with her family. It would mean that she couldn't hug her children goodnight. It would mean that she couldn't sleep in the same bed with her husband. It would mean that she couldn't be with her friends out doing work in the fields. It would mean that she couldn't go into the temple or to the synagogue to worship because she was unclean. So on top of the pain that she carried every single day, she also had complete isolation. She didn't have her community and she lived like this for 12 solid years. Now I know that a lot of us carry pain with us. And I know that we have things that we've been holding for a long time. I know in a room this size, there have to be people who've been dealing with hurt and tragedy and loss and maybe some, some trials in your life. There has to be that across this room. But the good thing for us is every week we can, if we so choose, come into the house of God and position ourselves in his presence and raise our hands and sing hallelujah, what a savior. And we can go to group and people can pray for us and we can come to the altar and we can leave and we can leave encouraged. But she had no community of faith, no one to support her. So I have to believe that the money that she spent over all those years was not just a way to try to find healing, but it was a way to try to find a whole life. It was a way to try to reclaim wholeness, to re-enter the community. There was so much attached to this. And so this woman, when she came to Jesus, when she made the decision to go position herself in the crowd, she had a desperate faith. That was the first characteristic of her faith. It was a desperate faith. She was physically desperate because her health was gone. She was financially desperate. Her money was gone. She had spent everything she had. She was socially desperate. She had no friends. She couldn't be around her family. And she was spiritually desperate. She couldn't, her, her place of worship was off limits to her. And so she had no other recourse but to go to Jesus. But here's what's remarkable to me. You know, the Bible tells us that she had heard about Jesus. She heard about him. It doesn't say that she heard him teach. It doesn't say that she saw him. It doesn't say that she listened to a message. It says that she heard about him. And yet still, having never seen him, never heard him in person, she got up, only heard about him, she got up and she went to find him. You know, there's something that is almost foolish about continuing to hope and believe in the face of repeated disappointment and failure. Isn't that right? I mean, there's something in us that only wants to be let down so many times before we give up. I mean, don't be stupid. Why keep trying? It's not working. Can't you see that? Why don't you just, why don't you just accept reality as it is? Why don't you get your head out of the clouds? Don't get your hopes 
up because what goes up must come down. And there comes a time when you get so tired of being let down, so tired of being disappointment that it almost is worse to hope than it is to just accept your pain. You know, when I was little, some of you who've been around me for a while, if you've heard me teach for a while, you know that when I was nine years old, my dad passed away from a brain tumor. And when my dad got diagnosed, I was about five, and we were in a fantastic faith community in a great church, people full of faith, were very well supported. And he got his first diagnosis, and man, people rallied to support us, and people came to our house, and they prayed for him, and we went to the altar, and he received prayer, and people gave us words that he would, you know, he would not die, but he would live, and you know, that happened for a while, and then my dad did. He went into remission, and he did live for another year and a half. But after a year and a half, the tumor came back. And the same thing happened again, prayer. We took him up to the altar, we prayed, we believed God, we had incredible support, we prayed. People came into our house and laid hands on him. The whole same thing, but this time, my dad didn't go into remission. This time, he went to heaven. And I wasn't old enough to ask the tough questions at that time, you know, why do good things, bad things happen to good people and what is the purpose of suffering? And I wasn't angry, but what happened for me was I just internalized this belief about God, and this was it. You can pray as much as you want, but at the end of the day, God's just gonna do what he wants to do. So what's the point? And I can tell by the silence in the room that I'm not the only one who's thought that. <laughs> I think that a lot of people, especially if you've faced a lot of disappointment in your life, especially if you believed and been let down and believed and been let down and picked yourself up and tried again and been let down. You maybe have this unspoken belief that is foolish to hope. You can pray if you want, and that's all right, but at the end of the day, God's just gonna do what he wants to do. And so what's the point? And I kind of went through life like that successfully, especially when it came to healing. Not angry, not disillusioned, still believed God would heal other people. But I kind of avoided praying for healing for people for a really long time. And then we planted our church in Jacksonville. And it happened that I was a pastor, so people would come to me and say, can you pray with me to be healed? Can you pray for me for my child to be healed? Can you pray for me for my parents to be healed? And I would say, I would so love to pray with you to be healed. Let me take you to this other person who would love to pray with you to be healed. Because I knew in my heart, I didn't have the faith to believe that God would heal because what I really believed was you can go ahead and pray, but God's gonna do what he wants to do. And I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna impart that to them. So I would hand off the prayer. But you know what God was gracious enough to let me live through? He was gracious enough to let me live through some times where I got to the end of my rope. And he was gracious enough to let me encounter some trials where if he did not come through on my behalf, no one was going through. And he was gracious enough to let me walk through some circumstances where hope was all I had. I had gotten desperate enough to have a desperate faith. And you know what I learned during those times? What I needed when I was, had a desperate faith was not someone to come to me and explain the reason behind my pain I needed someone to come alongside me and give me a reason to keep hoping. I didn't need someone to give me an answer. I wanted someone to give me 
more faith, to give me more hope. I didn't want someone, I didn't need someone who could explain away my faith, who could explain away my hope. I wanted someone who was a little bit foolish, a little bit stupid, who was a little bit willing to get in the trenches with me and say, look, I don't know what the outcome of this is gonna be, but I'm adding my faith to yours. Don't give up hope and we're gonna walk this out no matter what the outcome is until it's over. And I learned from that foolish hope, desperate hope, desperate faith is a great kind of faith to have because it helps you continue on the journey. And that's just what this woman did. She had a desperate faith. And when you are desperate enough, can I tell you, when you get desperate enough, another thing happens, you get determined. And not only did this woman have a desperate faith, she had a determined faith, a determined faith. She wasn't just going to be desperate, but she determined that she would do something with her faith. You know, a faith without action is a faith that is idle. It's like a car without an engine. The, so the framework is there, but it's not going anywhere. So you can have a desperate faith, but if you don't turn it into action, you're just gonna sink back into desperation. What you need to do is take that desperation and turn it into determination. And when you turn that faith into determination, that's where things start to shift. You know, the only thing that will ever bring change into your life is when the pain of staying the same gets greater than the pain of changing. When you get to the point where you just are like, I cannot sit here anymore and leave things the way they are and I don't know what lies ahead of me, but I'm moving on now, that's when change will start to take place. And you have to look at this woman. You have to look at her because she had to overcome a lot of things. It says here, and, um, I'm sorry, it says here in verse 27, it says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. This is so amazing to me. She has to go behind him in the crowd. So here's the things that she has to overcome. First of all, she has to just leave her house. You know, when you've been in a circumstance for so long, it becomes your new normal. You know, you've all heard the story of the lion in the cage that was in a cage. I mean, maybe you've heard this before and pacing back and forth and he was let out of his cage and all he did was pace back and forth 12 feet because it's all he knew in his mind. He was still in a cage. I don't know if you've ever heard that example before. But this woman, you know, there's sometimes you can stay in your circumstances so long that instead of you lose perspective that there's something better out there and that can just become comfortable to you. It's more, it's more comfortable to feel rejection and hide behind it than to brave going out into public and making new friends. It's just easier to not try than to fail again. And so being stagnant becomes more comfortable than reaching forward and pushing forward. And just for her to leave her house where she was at least safe, where she could at least not face rejection, where she could at least not face contempt, that was one big step. But the other thing she had to face was the crowd. I mean, this was a very, very big crowd. It was pressing into Jesus, almost crushing him. I mean, there are times that I know you don't wanna come to church because of the parking lines. I understand that, I get it. You know, sometimes I, the things that keep us from doing things that we want to do, from getting things that we want to get, you know, you're thinking, oh, I have to call someone and talk to them on the phone, I can't just text, Never mind. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever thought, oh, I don't wanna call anyone, I'm not talking, I'm just gonna text. Oh, I can't text, I'm not doing it. Okay, I know I need gas in my car, I'm below empty, but I'll just stop tomorrow on the way to work. Hopefully I have enough fumes to get me to the gas station. I just don't feel like getting out. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's all, I know it's July 31st, I'm gonna put up the Christmas, I'll just leave the Christmas decorations up. Christmas is right around the corner. <laughs> you know, just the things that we don't do because of inconvenience 
But she not only had to leave her comfort zone, but when she finally got to the lake, there's this huge crowd. Now listen, she'd been sick for 12 years. It's not like you or me busting up through the crowd, okay? We're just moving people. It's not like, you know, it's not like, it's not like Jairus where the crowd parted for him. Oh, here's this important man. We're gonna make way, let him know before Jesus. This is an, a sick, frail woman, probably wrapped in a cloak. Nobody can see her face because she doesn't want anyone to know who she is because then she would be unclean and everyone would know. And she's got to push through. Her legs are probably shaking. She is weak. She is hungry. She suffered blood loss. There is a crowd and she's just gonna try to touch. And this is what's amazing to me. She said, if I can just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Okay, listen, not if I can just get a meeting with him, not if he can just mentor me, not if I can sit down and share my story so that he can affirm me and then I can know that everything's okay, not if I can get a one-to-one with him, not if he can lay hands on me, if I can touch his cloak. She wasn't even expecting him to pray for her or lay hands on her. What amazing, reckless faith. That is crazy faith. And you know what else? It's not even theologically correct. It's not. Touching something doesn't make you healed. But you know something about faith? Your faith doesn't have to be perfect to be effective. Actually just needs to be aimed in the right direction. She didn't know who Jesus really was. She didn't have a revelation that he was the second person of the Trinity, God come in the flesh, born to crucify and be died again and secure eternal life for all of mankind forever and ever, one perfect sacrifice. She knew none of that. She knew there was a man coming to town, that when he touched people, they were healed. And she didn't think that she could get to him personally, but if she could just touch his cloak, maybe that would work. And that's what she was there for. That is determination. For some of us, if we can't get a meeting with the right person, a text back from the right person, we will stop in our tracks from doing what God has called us to do. If, you, if we don't get the response we want, if we don't get the call back, we'll stop. Sometimes you really do have to push through. Sometimes you have to give yourself permission to keep moving forward. Sometimes you have to tell yourself, if I can just, and that is enough, and I'll get to the next step. You know? She had a determined faith. And the other thing she had to deal with, I'm sure, was the fact that she was there when Jairus, this important man, respected in the community, she probably respected him, showed up, falls weeping, at Jesus' feet and says, Jesus, my young girl, my daughter, she's dying. Please come to my house and save her life. And this woman's been bleeding for 12 years. This man's daughter is 12 years old. And how easy would it have been for her to say, you know what? That is really important. And I don't wanna stop Jesus and his mission. I mean, she's a young girl. She's got her whole life ahead of her. Hasn't even lived long. Still has family, kids to have. I'm just... I'm just an old woman. I've lived my life. I, this has been my, I can go on a little. I'm just not gonna stop. I'm not gonna trouble Jesus. I'm just gonna, you know, if, if we heard someone say that, what would we say? That's so unselfish of you, so noble. But let me tell you something. God cares about every problem, not just the big crucial problems, not just the big world problems. He cares about your problem. And I would like to say that the enemy can use that belief that your problem is too small, too insignificant for God to keep you trapped in a life that is very much less than what God has for you. You know, I caught myself the other day, I was thinking about something, and I said, it would be great if, 
this could happen. It was something I had, some kind, something related to work, something I had to do that day, and I was like, man, it would just be awesome if this could happen. I really, really wish that this would happen, this would go this way, that would just be great. It would save me a lot of trouble. And the Holy Spirit interrupted my thoughts and said, instead of wishing, why don't you ask me? And have you ever been so honest that you caught yourself by surprise? <laughs> and I said, God, you don't care about that. Because that's, that just is for my own comfort. That's just for my own ease. It's not important. And he said again, instead of wishing, why don't you ask? Why don't you ask me for it? So I did. And guess what happened? It happened. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I'm gonna try this. Instead of wish, wishing for things, I'm just gonna start asking. So now when I catch myself saying, boy, I wish this would happen, not like I wish I could have a new car. I wish that I was 10, five inches taller. And I wish that I was 10 pounds, not stuff like that. Things that, you know what I'm saying? But I say, God, instead of saying I wish, I say, God, I'm coming in for a big ask right now. I'm asking you to do this for me. Do this for me, God, please. I, I really want you to do this. And I'm asking you. I'm, asking, I'm putting my faith in you. And can I tell you, the favor of God has started to frame my days out in a way that it hasn't until this point because I dared to ask for something that before I would have never dreamed to trouble God with. I mean, hello, he's God. He can multitask. He can do more than one thing at a time. But if he can number the hairs on your head, do you think he's not gonna be able to handle you and somebody else? He wants to be intimately involved in your life and sometimes we don't let him be as intimately involved in our lives as he wants to be because we just think, it's, we honestly just think it's not that important. And I kind of think that this woman, she had to have a determined faith to look at Jairus and his very crucial need and still insert herself into this crowd and try to get close to Jesus. It takes a determined faith to do that. It takes a determined faith to shut down your thoughts that are not God's thoughts towards you and say, I'm not gonna let myself think about that. I'm only gonna believe what God believes about me. I'm gonna align my thoughts with his thoughts. And you know, her faith was not just a determined faith because when you have a desperate faith and a determined faith, get ready because you're about to have a delivering faith. Her faith was not just desperate. It wasn't just determined it was a delivering faith. It was a faith that worked. And listen, this is what the Bible tells us. It says that she reached out and she touched his garment and she, it says immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Immediately she reaches out, she touches his garment and she, she found, she felt in her body that she was immediately relieved from her suffering. What a, what a thrill, right? I mean, have you ever done such? She must have been like, oh my gosh, it worked. Have you ever done something and like it works and you're like, oh my gosh, it really worked. Like you're, you're doing it because you think it will work, but then when it works, you're like, I can't believe this worked. That's how she must have felt like, oh my gosh, it worked. She felt this power go out from her. But it honestly wasn't touching the cloak that worked. Her healing and deliverance came from contact with Jesus. Came from contacting him. Her healing and deliverance came from touching Jesus with faith. Touching, you know, there are a lot of people that are surrounding Jesus that aren't touching him. And I've been one of them many times in my life. I'm one of them sometimes even now. I don't wanna be that person. But it's so easy to just become so complacent, so familiar with the community of faith, with church, with worship, with the access to everything in heaven that we have that we just take it for granted and we start to just live, we start to lose awareness of the magnificence 
of what God's entrusted to us. His Holy Spirit, the kingdom of heaven on earth, the ability to have spiritual eyes and see things that aren't visible to the natural. Like, it's amazing what we've been entrusted with and yet we can start to become familiar with it. It's like a kid. You know, if, they, if we have this thing in us that whatever we have, we just become familiar with it and it loses its shiny newness. Like my kids could go to Disney World and live in it for a year. That could be their house and then they would get bored with it in two months. We just, it wears off. And it's the same thing if we're not vigilant, the newness can wear off. We, we can surround Jesus, we can come to his house, we can pray, we can go to group, we can read the word, we can worship in this incredible environment and we can start to surround Jesus but we're not touching Jesus. We're not, we, have, we don't have intentionality. Can I say, no judgment. If you're surrounding Jesus, that is a great place to be. Don't quit surrounding Jesus just because you're not touching him. But there are times when you know your heart is getting cold that you have to ask yourself, am I just surrounding Jesus? Or am I here to touch him? Am I here to touch him? Or am I just happy to be in the crowd around him and sense what's going on? And she exercised greater faith than she ever thought she could. I'm sure when she started her journey, I don't know if she knew exactly what was ahead of her. Maybe she knew it would just be a, a deal to get out of the house and, and try, try to get to the lake shore. But then when she gets, gets there to see the huge crowd crowding in on Jesus, and then when she gets past that, even to see hear Jairus's big request, she maybe never even knew what she would have to encounter, but she had more faith than she probably ever realized that she had when she started out. Can I encourage you about something? A strong faith is a stretched faith. I'm gonna say that again. A strong faith is a stretched faith. You know, you actually cannot increase your faith by getting what you want. You can't increase your faith by getting what you want. What does the Bible tell us about faith? It's the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You don't activate your faith to believe for what you have. You activate it to believe for what you don't have. You don't activate your hope to, believe for, to hope for what you have. You activate it to hope for what you don't have. So as long as we don't have what we're believing for, we're increasing our faith. The only way to increase your faith is to increase your wait time. Increased wait time is resistance training for your faith. Just like increased weight is resistance training for your muscles. Your faith, the greatness of your faith is not how quickly you get your answer, but about how long you're willing to wait for it with patience and joy. And if you're in a waiting season right now, I just wanna encourage you. God's placed his hand on you to increase your faith. And it is an honor that he will entrust you with a wait time because it means that he sees treasure in you, that he's trying to pull out and refine. It's a good thing. You're, in, you're, you're increasing your resistance and you're strengthening your faith. That's what an increased wait time is. And this woman achieved more by faith than she thought she ever could. And her illness was healed. Isn't that great? Her illness, illness was healed. And I kind of think she would have been super happy to just leave right then and go on back home. I mean, she got what she came for. She was healed. Jesus didn't even have to stop and look at her. She touched it. Everything's good. I'm just gonna <laughs> scoot on back out the crowd. I'm gonna go back home. I'm gonna tell my family what happened. We're gonna have some roast beef together or whatever you eat back then. We're gonna have dinner. It's gonna be awesome. I'm going to church next weekend. But Jesus was not done with her. You see, so many times we're content to come into the presence of God and get what we came for. 
but God actually wants to give us more than what we came for. We can't be too quick to leave his presence. Because if we do, we might miss out on the more that he has for us. And Jesus said, can you put that verse up for me? The next verse. At once, sorry, he says, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said, you see the people crowding around you? His disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. And keep going. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I wanna say that again. He said to her daughter, your faith, not touching my coat, your faith, touching me with faith, has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on out right here as I close. But you know, so many times you come into church and we, we get what we came for. We come to the altar, we get the prayer we came for. We talk to the person we needed to talk to. We got a word that spoke to us and then we leave happy that we got what we came for. But I have to ask, I wonder if there's more. And she was happy to get what she came for. And, and Jesus, when he, he felt power go, when she touched him, the minute that she felt healed, he felt power go out from him. And he said, who touched me? There's a kind of touch. There were people all around him touching him, but there is a kind of touch that draws heaven's gaze towards you. It draws heaven's look in your direction and says, who is that touching heaven with that much faith? Jesus stopped on the way to this mission. He stopped in the crowd and he turned around and looked and said, who touched me like that? Who touched me with the faith that drew forth power from me? Something happened and I have to know who it happened to. And he stopped and there was no silence. There was, I think that this lady was gonna try to get away without saying who she was, you know, because there's this really awkward silence and Jesus is waiting for people to come forward and people are uncomfortable with awkward silences. Jesus let it hang there. I'm not uncomfortable with awkward silences. I figure if you don't wanna tell me, I might not wanna hear it. But Jesus let the silence hang in the air and finally this woman comes up and she's like, it was me. I'm the one. I came desperate. I came determined and I, I got delivered and it, this is what's happened to me and this is who I am. You see, Jesus is not content to deliver you, to change you, to raise you up, to fill your life, to make you a new person, to make you a new creature, to do a great work in you. He's not gonna let, do that and then let you hide. When God delivers and changes and seals someone with redemption, he wants to push them forward so that his name can be glorified. Not so we can be glorified, but so his name can be glorified. We can't go back into hiding once he's touched us. We can't go back into hiding once he's delivered us. You know, I think she got healed and she would have been very happy to go back to life as usual. Just go back to her house unknown. Nobody needs to know about this. This is embarrassing. I'm just gonna keep my business to myself. I'm happy to do what I did. But you know, how many of you know there is a sickness of the body, but there is also a sickness of the soul. And there are many, many people who have a healthy body and a sick soul. And Jesus wanted so much more for her than just a physical healing. And so he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And I want you to know something unusual about this. This is the only time in all the gospels 
that Jesus calls someone daughter. He was doing more than just healing her. He was welcoming her back in. He was saying, there's a place in this family for you. There's a place for you with me. She got so much more than what she came for. She came, she came in for healing, but she got wholeness. That word, go in peace, it doesn't just mean, you know, the Lord be with you and also with you. It means go and complete wholeness. It was shalom. It meant complete wholeness from head to toe. Nothing missing, nothing lost. Don't just be healed. Be completely restored from the inside out. She came for healing, but she got wholeness. She came as an outcast, but she left as a daughter. She wasn't even hoping for that. She just wanted not to hurt anymore. But Jesus saw a bigger need. She came as an outcast, but she left as a daughter. And she came unknown, but she left known and loved. So I'll tell you this, I don't know what you came in for today, but I know if you're like me, you always come in for something. You always come in with some kind of expectation, some kind of hope. You know, I'm very aware that in a room like this and church this big, there are people who come in every Sunday and they are looking just for hope for one more day, just something to help them through their week. And that's good. But I wanna tell you something. God has more for you than what you came for. And don't give up hope. Don't give up faith. Don't quit believing. You might be desperate right now, but add determination to that and you will be delivered, right? Hey, let's stand up right now. Let's seal this with worship. Let's lift our hands toward heaven and let's give him praise right now. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.